0: I just wanted to jump on quickly before we start recording and say thanks so much for your support. We have just reached 30,000 downloads. Um, Our little podcast that started off, gosh, a year and a half ago is growing, gathering attention, and the conversations are meaningful. And yeah, come follow us, join us, subscribe, share, whatever, join in the fun and join in the conversations. Remember that old joke, three dis professionals walk into a bar and, oh, wait, you've never heard it before? We haven't either. But what if three dis professionals did walk into a bar, sit down at a table, and have thoughtful conversations about a whole host of topics? What if you could eavesdrop and maybe even pull up your own chair? And what if that bar was actually a coffee shop because at least one of us would inevitably fall asleep? or want to dance after a couple glasses of wine, this series is that conversation in the coffee shop where you get to listen in on thoughtful discussions about a variety of topics from the perspective of a medical SLP, a school-based SLP, and a professor in communication sciences and disorders. Grab a drink, pull up a chair, and let's get started.
1: Welcome to this episode, my friends. Thanks, Maddie. So glad to be here. This is Janet Tilstra, anchoring the higher ed perspective, plus my own personal perspective.
2: (laughs) Hi, it's Katie Weidstrom-Landcraft. I'm the school-based SLP and also bringing my own perspective as well. I don't know how I could leave it behind.
0: And the third leg of the stool that is keeping everything upright is Maddie. I'm Maddie, and I'm the host, and I'm bringing the medical SLP. And I am loving this Fishbowl series because all three of us have our perspectives on our speech pathology world from our different windows. Today, we are going to be talking about imposter syndrome, and I just want to give a little note. When we started our Fishbowl series, we had them all organized and all scripted out with the main topics, Fishbowl series number one, number two, number three, and right around four, we introduced the ASHA bonus episode because I was at ASHA, and then we were going to jump into episode five with everybody's questions, and we've taken a slight little pivot in our podcasting because... We are learning that the questions really deserve a lot more time and unpacking and examining. So we're going to slow down just a little bit, stop numbering the episodes, just come look for the Fishbowl series, and we're going to have them titled appropriately, like today's going to be imposter Syndrome. All right.
1: This is a tough one to see on the list, Maddie. I I just Uh want to say, we've all talked together, and I, I know that we all feel... We've experienced imposter syndrome. We do experience imposter syndrome. It just feels like something that walks with us, goes away, revisits right. in a really ongoing way. So it's a very, um, a real phenomenon for each of us. And I know many of the listeners.
0: And it's an ongoing phenomenon. It was the number one, one of the number one questions when I was at Ashton, I had my, my table there. Um, so it's, it's the coaching, SLP coaching, and so many SLPs came up and it didn't matter whether they were clinical fellows or um, veterans in the field. They were like, I still suffer from imposter syndrome and how can I take my career? Because I don't think I'm really that good. And so what we're going to address today is the first question I would love to ask is why is imposter syndrome so prevalent in our field?
1: Can I take just a minute? I I think most listeners are familiar with the term imposter syndrome, but I wonder, could we just define that to make sure everyone's on the same page? Um, Katie, do you want to take a stab at that?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, am I, am I making up my own definition or do you want me to actually give you like a research definition? Because for me, Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome is that niggling feeling that I should no more, be more, and do more to feel comfortable in my chosen profession, to feel as though I've arrived within my chosen profession. And so in the absence of feeling as though I've arrived within my chosen profession, there's always this little bit that's saying, you know, there's, there's probably something, there's probably a way you could do this differently, a way you could do this better, a way you could do more. Uh, That's, that's my kind of my uh, way of interpreting imposter syndrome. But I would be actually be curious to hear from both of you, when you hear that, what does, how, how does that land for you or what comes to mind for you? Because there is, of course, I mean, hey, friends out there, if you want to hop on Google and look it up, I'm sure there's lots of different um, explanations. But when you hear that, Maddie, what,
0: what do you think about for you? I'm glad you called me out. Cause I'm, w- I want to differentiate between not ever feeling like we're good enough and being perfectionist and always wanting to improve what we're doing versus what I think is imposter syndrome. Um, I've had imposter syndrome where I'm like, they're going to find out that I'm not as good as I as, as they think I am, that I'm portraying myself as being better than I am, and I, I really don't know, and if they're going to find me out, and, you know, my world's going to end because I love what I do, um, so to me, that imposter syndrome is where I feel like I'm hiding something or faking something because I'm really not as good as everybody thinks I am. I hope that wasn't too raw and real. <laughs>
2: No, oh, I think that makes sense, Janet. When you hear imposter syndrome, what comes to mind for you? What kind of bubbles up?
1: Yeah, I'm. I appreciate both of your honesty. Um, and and p- shred uh, like pieces of what you both said really resonate with me. I think there's a a big piece of it for me is what similar to what Maddie said. It's like there's the me I present on the surface that may appear capable, competent well-spoken, whatever, and then this very personal, internal fear, um, and it's not active all the time, but dang, it can just rear its head, but that will sometimes say, you know, they're going to find out, like that curtain of your togetherness is going to be like yanked away, and people are going to see what uh, either what a broken, imperfect person you are, Or how much you're sort of faking your way through something that you may know quite a bit about, but there's so much more to know. Who are you to present yourself as someone who's knowledgeable about that subject? So I think it's pieces of both that they might find out I'm not who I present myself as. And it's very personal. It's very personal, this kind of internal voice of just really um, try to take you down a notch.
0: I, my description comes from an experience that I had had, I've had it, I've had it twice really in my career where um, I had been practicing uh, in a hospital for a number of years as as a consultant private practice. And I shifted down to a different medical setting. And I had practiced solo for quite a few years in a rural setting, doing my own video swallows and doing my continuing education. But because I worked so solo without any other SLPs, um, nobody to really say, how do you do your video swallows? Or, you know, all these things like that. So I really didn't have anybody to to get feedback from and, and things like that. So when I shifted to the bigger medical center, that was where it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, here, with all my years of experience, you would think I would have more. Um, And then the second time was when I stepped into teaching, thinking that with with all of my years of clinical experience, I'd be able to step right on in. And it, it wasn't not as smooth as I thought. So those were the two times where I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, and I can talk specifically later on on what I did to overcome imposter syndrome. Right. But I think sometimes the situations are where it, it it's it's a valid feeling, and sometimes it's not.
1: Yeah, Maddie, I I want to just add to that. Um, for me, it's weird because there are times where, um, like maybe I wasn't selected for a job that I really wanted. And I've had times where I encounter that with strong confidence. And I say to myself, they made a mistake. I was absolutely the most qualified person. They're going to regret not hiring me. And I could say that with genuine belief in that. And then there'll be another time where it's maybe not even as high of a stakes thing, where my damn imposter syndrome will just be like, really? You said that? Like, yeah, like, did, did you want to be that like cheerleader? Is that really you, you know, or something like that? So it isn't always, the response within me isn't always in line with the situation from, in my experience with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Katie, other thoughts that you have?
2: Yeah. So, you know, while you all were talking, of course, I did Google imposter syndrome (laughs) and, and (laughs) And so there were a couple of things that that came up for me. So I, I did what I hope listeners would do, where I just threw it in, right? Threw it sure. into Google, and uh, the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved mm-hmm. or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. So there are a couple of things that I think is interesting, and I I guess when we use the phrase imposter syndrome it may manifest a little bit differently for people. So I think there's elements of self-criticism. I think there's elements of worthiness as maybe hokey as that sounds. I believe there's a part of it. I think um, I I have a curiosity about where perfectionism ends and imposter syndrome takes over. Um, But but what you're gonna kind of, is the line that runs through them all is that there's this constant sort of second guessing and dissection and analysis of one's own skills and abilities. And I don't know if other professions experience that to the same degree that we do, or if again, part of like how we're trained and how we're wired and what draws us to the field kind of increases our propensity for having some of these experiences. I don't know the answer to that, but those are some of the thoughts that I have as we're talking.
1: So, yeah, I yeah. I can't answer fully about if other professions as groups have the same experience as us. I mean, certainly there's going to be individual um, experiences within any defined group of people. Um, I will say I have some friends um, and um, just community people I know that are highly trained physicians with sometimes multiple specialties. And most of those people, if you're talking candidly with them, also experience imposter syndrome and will talk about that. So I don't think it's anything that we SLPs specifically own. But there may be something about, you know, people that are are drawn to kind of like, I don't know, cognitive-ish fields or maybe service professions where, who knows, maybe we have some propensity. Um, again, I'm speculating because I, I, we're not referencing the research here. I d- haven't dug into that kind of content for this. And yeah, we are, this is not a research-based podcast. This
0: is where we pull together our perspectives from what we draw and just our reflections from our careers.
2: I do want to acknowledge that does sometimes feel uncomfortable, at least for me anyway, where uh, I think I have this internal tension where I have to remind myself that we're, we're in conversation with each other. It isn't a presentation. It isn't, um, you know, a synthesis of evidence-based practices with regard to fill in the blank. It isn't a repository of strategies and approaches to do, fill it in here. And I sometimes feel ah, unsettled by that because that's what I know how to do. And that's what I have done a lot in my time working in communication sciences and disorders. This whole format, this whole premise feels um, sometimes kind of vulnerable. And I think that's why it's good that it's here. But I also want to acknowledge that tension because I think I can sometimes be pretty cynical too. And if I was listening to this podcast, I might feel like, I thought three different perspectives of the profession. We're going to talk about therapy approaches for something. And, uh, that's not what this is. And I sometimes have to remind myself in the podcast that that's not what this is. This is if we were all sitting together Mm -hmm. in a coffee shop talking about all manner of things, Mm -hmm. uh, So I think it's good to revisit that, especially with imposter syndrome, because, boy, when we talk about imposter syndrome, I want to beat that down with evidence and explanation and analysis and intellect, and that's where I feel at home for managing that. I'm not saying it works, by the way. I'm just saying that's what feels familiar.
1: (laughs) Katie, thanks for that. I I think that's where imposter syndrome meets podcast, right. you know, we're the, the genesis of this podcast was really just some conversations we had that were very energizing and very honest. And we decided let's, let's do a single podcast, which expanded into multiple conversations. Um, and so, yeah, there is this, um, I think, hesitation in- inside of each of us probably in different ways where we can question like, is this enough? Is this referenced enough? Are we providing scientifically based? And I think that that reminder that what we're, what we're being about in this podcast is three professionals in CSD, different settings, different perspectives, different life experiences, having conversations about honest topics and um, thank you, that's a really good reminder to kind of bring us back to validate that piece.
0: Yesterday, I was having a conversation with somebody um, and I was working in my medical setting yesterday and I had to just take a break after a first minute because I had to pull my brain out of the clinical. Okay, boom, 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 bullet points, da, 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 evidence-based practice, all that stuff. This is why, I, you know, and take a deep breath and enter into a different realm. Thinking And this podcast is a different realm. It it can be considered woo-woo. It can be considered um, just a little different. And that to me is one of the things that I love about our conversations. These are real conversations with real SLPs who have these struggles and have this perspective. And that's what we offer with our conversations.
1: There was something, um, Katie, um, that you said really early on, I think when we were talking about the, the podcast and planning it, where you were thinking about your younger self, I, and maybe this will ring a bell, but you were talking about things you thought and believed and experienced as a younger SLP, and then kind of in contrast to where you are today. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No. Okay. I don't. You don't, okay. Yourself. So Ugh. the line I remember you saying was, I think you had heard um, a younger SLP talking about some of their experiences, I believe with imposter syndrome. And I, what I recall you saying, and you can add to this, was um, I remember experiencing those thoughts and feelings as a younger SLP and thinking when I am X age, I won't be, I'll be beyond that. And then you made some comment about some of those things are still recurring things that you experience, feel, think about. Does that make sense?
2: It does. And, and that kind of circles back to that notion of arriving. Mm-hmm. I, I think I believed when I've seen enough patients, clients, or students when I've written enough um, reports, evaluations, IEPs, when I've given enough uh, evidence-based presentations to colleagues, peers, and cross-disciplinary conferences, when I do those things and many others that I'm sure I could keep uh, listing, that I will have arrived and I will no longer have that niggling feeling that are you are you sure that is the best and most efficient way to do this so so to me there's a second guessing I I don't know if I would go so far as to say I feel like a fraud but I also don't feel like I am necessarily the one who knows all the things and I think I believed when I was younger I would get to the point where and I shouldn't say all the things but I could take comfort in knowing many of the things as I got uh, as, as I gained more experience um, and I don't necessarily feel like that happens because when I'm having a student in their practicum say I just feel like I don't always know what to do when a student comes to me saying blank and I guess in my in 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 those moments I have two paths I can fix and help and advise and guide or I can honor that experience and say yeah sometimes you won't always know and I think as I've done more of my own exploration. I'm trending more towards just sitting with the experience with others versus trying to fix, help, guide, change, even, and that's what makes us feel uncomfortable. Even though my first, my still first and more intuitive uh, way of responding in the moment is the one that feels familiar it's not necessarily going to serve that professional well 20 years from now because she'll be like she made it sound like this would get better if it didn't get better it, it changed but it didn't get better um so yeah that's kind of where i that i do remember that conversation
1: have you um Well, I've experienced, and I imagine many of our listeners have too, where you look back at a picture of a younger self, and um, I I think I, along with um, a lot of people, um, am often self-critical of my body or my physical appearance, et cetera. Um, And I remember looking back at pictures where I can remember the moment and me be feeling uncomfortable, whether it's like I'm wearing a swimsuit holding my baby daughter and I'm thinking about something about my body. Maybe it hasn't returned from pregnancy or maybe it's shifted. Um, and I remember the moment of feeling uncomfortable. And then from my current lens years later, looking at the picture, thinking, what was I thinking about? Like, this is a beautiful person holding a baby, etc." And so, what that brings me back to is how much of an internal struggle this is. It's not, the, it's not the external judgment of other people upon us. It's our wrestling with ourselves. And I think for me, um, it's really easy to compare down, I'm better than blah, 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 have more skills than blah, 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 or to compare up oh my gosh, why haven't I achieved X? Or um, I often have this moment at Researcher Town Hall meeting at ASHA is a really big gathering of academics. And I'm an academic. I have an earned PhD from a reputable place. I like research. I like teaching. And I enter that and I'll look at people who are um, maybe primarily researchers or they're speaking and publishing at us other level and I'll think who am I? Like why <laughs> am I a complete fraud here, right? But it's not about them judging me mm-hmm. and it's not about anybody in the room looking at me as an other. It's really me wrestling with myself and the the who I am. And I feel like that really is just such a crux of what imposter syndrome is for me and my experience with it. Thanks for sharing that
0: Janet. I love that perspective that it it gets. It reminds me of being the university setting. Um, We just have this really neat opportunity where the students, like right now, we're at the end of our semester, and some of them are going on into their clinical internships. And my words of wisdom to them are, you know what you know, you've earned what you've earned. You've passed your classes. Your professors have passed you off. Your clinical supervisors have passed you off. And Katie, you said earlier in that definition that it was deserved and achieved. And we need to remind not only our students who are stepping into the career, but change our mindset as well and say, look at what I do know, look at the, the degree I have or the degrees that I have in this, the knowledge that I have. And depending on where we are in the continuum, we do belong where we are. And to step into, into that. One of the questions I want to ask is how people have asked often, how do I overcome imposter syndrome? Any thoughts, Katie? You want to start us off?
2: I think it's a great question. And I want to have an answer that fixes it for someone else. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't exactly. What I would say helps is if you... Can find a way to have a little bit of distance in the moment from that experience and and name it for what it is. I, I think sometimes we get so pulled into maybe uh, an emotional response in those moments and we're feeling uncomfortable and we're feeling like we're judging ourselves. And uh, when Janet talked about it being a really internal process, I think that's really true. And if there is a way to just take a pause and say, oh, it's almost like you have to narrate it to yourself or identify it for yourself. I know what this is. This is that thing that some people call imposter syndrome and, and creating a bridge to something that's, that's anchoring or something that's grounding. You know, I I do have training. I am competent to be doing what I'm doing. I'm here in this moment. And this moment is writing this report this moment is working with my patient that's coming in 10 minutes I I think because the other thing that can happen is we can start to become really sort of internal and spinning at the same time and then we're not really present for the task at hand right so so if we can pause name acknowledge that it's there but also Kind of put it down, it doesn't have to be at the forefront of our minds, it doesn't have to be the driver. And, and what do we replace that with? We replace what's happening in the present moment. You know, I think about Janet going to the, the researcher town hall, I'm having a fabulous conversation with about <laughs> you know, so that's kind of how you almost like ground yourself in the present moment of the experience versus kind of going inward and taking yourself out of what is a really cool experience. And so that's my idea. I don't know if it's a fix. It's, well, it's what I have to offer, but I don't know if it's a fix.
0: I don't know if we, I don't know if fix is the right word. I would maybe say address because if, and it's harder to get that critical voice to be quiet. Sometimes we were just talking before we pressed the record button about the mean girl on the bus. And, and that's that mean girl coming forward and, and whispering in the ear as we're, you know, driving the bus. That was the analogy you gave Katie. And I thought it was just so good. Um, and she serves a purpose, right? We do need to, you know, in the, in the situations where I was shared before, where I had been, um, addressing my own imposter syndrome was when I shift major settings and I question my, is my skill level up where it needs to be and stepping into the university setting, what do I need to learn to do what I need to do? So imposter syndrome, it can be a vehicle for us to reflect and improve our scope, our skill, where it needs to be improved as long as we look at it through a healthy lens. Janet, do you have anything you want to add?
1: Yeah. Um, I, so I just to kind of restate, would you say the purpose then of that kind of like that inner critic is to really help you recognize sometimes something that you're feeling, experiencing, or it could be something that you care about and want to continue to develop which is that accurate
0: yes it's a little flag for some reason there's just a little extra thought in there and um we can label or address or somehow unpack it
1: yeah thanks um maddie i was thinking about um i think i i brought this up with you two um off podcast at a different time but um In a conversation over Thanksgiving, um, I I know some people who are very um, well-read or they're just always introducing me to new um, writers or authors or thinkers. And someone brought up the name um, David White, W-H-Y-T-E, who's an author and a poet, nothing to do with SLP world, but a lot to do with life. And I, I just did a little noodling around. I haven't read all of his work but he has this concept of three marriages and thinking about your life in Mm -hmm. terms of three marriages. And that has nothing to do with whether you like the institution of marriage, whether you're actually married, et cetera. But the concept is for many of us, we have these significant relationships in our lives. One may be with our, our life partner or significant close personal relationships of people that are important in our lives. Um, A second for many of us is our profession and our kind of like meaning making through our, the work that we do, whatever form that takes. And then the third marriage he talks about as the most challenging, which is our relationship with ourselves. And I just found it really profound and I think relevant to this conversation about imposter syndrome, because his, um, part of the premise of his structure that way is our relationship with ourselves affects the way we are in those two other spaces with our significant um, intimate people in our lives and in our professional capacity. Um, And so I was, I was thinking as you were talking both of you about, sometimes I think that the imposter syndrome or that inner critic can be so loud that it can talk you out of advocating for yourself and what you need, right? Who are you to ask for that? Who are you to point out that that thing might, that process might be done differently? Who are you, right? And I think that's something I struggle with sometimes. And sometimes I'll burst through and say the thing I think I want to do or self-advocate. And sometimes it goes beautifully. And sometimes it doesn't. And so I wrestle with... um, I guess coming back to when, well, first of all, imposter syndrome doesn't mean you shouldn't advocate or speak up for yourself, those self-doubts. I do think the timing of when you decide to put yourself out there or ask a question, self-advocate, deal with a difficult um, interaction, I think you need to be at a place where you aren't expecting the other person to validate you. Because if you're expecting that, that might happen, but it could go all kinds of ways wrong. So I think the imposter syndrome maybe gives us um, a little bit of a check to say, what is going on here? What are you noticing? Is there something you have agency over asking for changing? And then are you ready? Are you ready to do that? Do you have enough strength in yourself that you're saying the thing that needs to be said? said? and you have enough distance, you're not relying on the other person in the difficult conversation to take care of you.
2: So so what I, I think I'm hearing you say is if we have these three marriages, the marriage with um, our significant people in our lives, so the significant relationship one, we have the second marriage, which is the, the marriage to our profession, and we have this third marriage, which is the marriage to ourselves. And again, I kind of... I'm a little weirded out by the word marriage and I feel myself bristle when I hear it explained that way. But I, I think I'm understanding that to be a placeholder for significant, substantial, long-term commitments to these different aspects of relationship. But And what I'm hearing you say is when we have that experience of imposter syndrome occurring within our professional setting, that perhaps... The, the the work or the care or the attention has to occur within that relationship within ourselves so it's right. not necessarily that i am speaking to um the the executive of the hospital or the administrator in a school or the dean uh, for my my program it's not necessarily that i'm doing that it's almost like um like a flag or uh the way i've heard it described a rumble strip to signal hey mm-hmm. what else might be going on mm-hmm. and, and i think in order for imposter syndrome to be helpful it, it does have to have uh, a a packaging of of curiosity around it, because otherwise I think it's it's unhelpful and I think it's damaging. I, I don't, so I think I kind of heard you saying that as well, Maddie, and I think that's also what I'm understanding from you, Janet. Um, as you both were talking, I was bristling a little bit at that idea that imposter syndrome could ever be helpful, but as you all have have talked about it, it makes sense to me now, like, that as a, as a cue, Uh, that something else may require more attention. That does make sense to me.
0: Right. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we unpack both views, how it can be something, a stick to beat ourselves up with. And also, I love your term rumble strip, something to say, hey, is, you know, am I out of my lane? What's going on? Right. So we have a few minutes left. And, The question I would like to answer now, Katie, I'd like you to briefly explain the mean girl on the bus analogy. And then I want us to answer what would we say, what words of advice would we give that mean girl now about imposter syndrome? So do you want to start by explaining um, just the bus analogy, please? Yeah. So
2: um, first of all, it's not mine. I believe it comes from Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, and the bus is one way of thinking about it. Um, another way that I've heard it described, and I believe Sharon Salzberg has described it this way, is that you have people that like are knocking on your door trying to get into your house. And what that really means is we have these different aspects of our being. maybe it's self-judgment, maybe it's curiosity, maybe it's um, feeling vulnerable, maybe, usually what I would tell you is that the noisiest aspects of our being aren't the ones that are always helpful. And so when you think about, when you think about how to kind of manage some of that, and that, that definitely kind of is, you know, when you have that aspect of self-judgment, that is a huge piece of imposter syndrome. When you're managing that, um, with the bus analogy, it's like you have all these little kids, you have all these aspects of your being getting on the bus and they all have a seat. There's, there's, there's room for it all, but they don't get to drive the bus. And so when you start to have self-judgment trying to drive the bus, that's when you kind of take, take a step and say, I, I recognize that this is here and you don't get to drive the bus. Please sit down. Or if that doesn't feel comfortable to you, you imagine these aspects of your being, knocking on the door, invite them in for tea, but don't let them run around your house wrecking stuff, right? So so it's that conscious awareness of these different parts of us that show up in any given moment and that can kind of pull us, pull us off plan and throw us off and disrupt us and and so what do you do with that you don't ignore it you don't beat it down because then it almost like I think I think it can kind of make those feelings of self-judgment or self-doubt even more intensified rather if you kind of see it for what it is know that that's not the only part of you that is available in any given moment that can help manage that experience of imposter syndrome in a moment and over time.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Janet. Um, expanding on the the bus driving or the car riding analogy, um, I've heard some um, some speakers talk about you know it's it's more like having a, a child or someone who's sort of acting out in the back seat. You know they're there you're gonna you're gonna talk to them you um will manage them as Katie said but you're the one driving the car um a similar a similar but slightly different analogy is a poem by Rumi that's called the guest house I don't know if either of you have heard of that it's really really beautiful and um I'm just going to read it. I pulled it up. It's just short, but I think it's, it's really powerful. It's called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And I just think that says so much more than I could on my own. I really appreciate that poem.
0: Wow. I love our conversations. today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP, continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the Missing Link for SLP's podcast, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also please share an episode with a friend. Together we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.